Folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show and <clears throat> the uh, spiritual quality of music and the musicians continues to swirl around me as uh, my dear friend Uncle Steve Grams, uh, really an institution here in Tucson, an amazing bass player, reached out to me last week and <clears throat> hit me to yet another incredible musician, uh, multi-instrumentalist, wind connoisseur, uh, a guy who goes way back in the history of the lexicon of music when really labels were not an, an essential part of the musical lex lexicon. It was much more from the the Duke Ellington school and it's all music and then the subjective part is either it's good or bad. Uh, my guest really uh, cut his teeth uh, in a bastion of blues and jazz in Chicago and uh had his own band in his own right, and really was merging uh, what you would consider probably rock, jazz, blues in some kind of fusion bag. He continues today down in Bisbee, Arizona. T.S. Webb, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. How you doing, man? <laughs> Good to hear all of you. Hey, man. It's great to hear you, babe. Um, you know, I just kind of wanted you to talk about the idea of if, uh, you know, early on, did you, did you basically pick up the instrument and learn tunes by ear before you learned to read music? Oh, no. <laughs> I was, uh, I was very, very fortunate in that my father was a trumpet player wow. and my mother was a school teacher. And in, in her days, they had to know piano too. So my mother could play piano, and uh, my dad was a, a great trumpet. He was a utility man in Local 10208, uh, you know, Chicago Musicians Union, and um, he was the kind of guy they called in during the Depression um, to to play the, the, the piccolo trumpet parts on a B-flat horn on the regular trumpet. Wow. In other words, they could hire one guy because they couldn't afford three piccolo trumpets because the piccolos are very quiet compared to a B-flat horn. And uh, that's what my dad did. He, he was a tremendous reader, and uh, he could transpose the parts from the E-flat parts to the B-flat part. And uh, he was... Uh, he, he was a lot, a very, very instrumental in uh, in my playing. You know, it's funny. I want, I wanted you to, uh, you know, I we I did a cosmic interview with a guy who just left us, Ahmad Jamal, and uh, Ahmad, yes, Ahmad. Oh, uh, you know, he started the jazz division of Chess Records. Uh, Ramsey Lewis came later, but it was really him. Bo Diddley, Muddy Waters, and Chuck Berry. Was your dad, I mean, coming out of that depression into the 40s, early 50s, was your dad a, a session cat? Would he go in and record, or, or would, he, would he be part of horn sections on, on all the recordings that were going on? Well, he did some, he did some recording back in the late 20s. Uh, but as far as I know, he, he got out of the, uh, the recordings uh, you know, uh, being on call for recording by the forties, uh, I, I know that he was he was playing with the symphony, uh, 
every so often, you know, whenever they needed somebody during the 30s, but because the, the money wasn't wasn't there to have the full ensemble, so they didn't hire one guy that could do all the parts, you know, do the part, you know. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, and then he, he joined the Army, and he was with... Uh, he was with the Fifth Army Band for a short time, and then uh, he was, uh, uh, the bugler got sick, and uh, he had to take the bugler's spot, so he took his trumpet out, and uh, he was blowing revelry, and it just turned out that uh, uh, the great tank commander, uh, General Patton, happened to be in the, uh, up at... Uh, uh, oh, Fort Sheridan, and um, he was playing taps, and he's get that guy in here. So, <laughs> next thing my dad knew, he was in North Africa. Well, he was he got trained in, uh, uh, you know, penetration troops with wow. uh, the British, and wow. then went to North Africa. You know, holy cow! So, yeah, so and then he got back and he played horn. He, he was he was there through the whole thing, I guess, and um, got back about 1946 because he had uh, well he uh, he quit about 1946, got out of the army, but uh, he had it, it was a kind of a forced play because he he shattered a kneecap on a on a patrol one night, you know, so uh, in Sicily just as they were going in, and uh, so he came home. After almost a year in the hospital, and uh, uh, and got married, and then uh, I occurred. <laughs> he was playing with the big bands when I was a little guy, but uh, uh, then he 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 stopped playing in about the mid fifties, about nineteen fifty seven. He he gave it up and said, "You better practice." <laughs> I did. <laughs> I mean, can you? I mean, going back to this idea of. Uh, you know, so many musicians from your generation uh, were autodidacts. I mean, they, you would transcribe the records. There wasn't all this visual material. Quite frankly, we're awash in so much visual material that material today on YouTube, and so much of it is mediocre that a lot of cats are learning to read music before they can really hear it. And so their ears are locked. And, you know, I'm not saying that you were... You know, uh, Don Cherry, or you know, you you weren't you know like part of the Chicago uh, uh, Arts Ensemble of Chicago. But can you talk about where your ears grew the most early in your career on the bandstand? Well, on the bandstand, yeah. Uh, oh boy, I got up with Joseph German once. Oh, dude, let's just break uh, that down no, right now. Let's break it down. <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, a funny thing is I went down, I was going to, you know, I, I was in at Austin High School originally, and um, um, and then I, I didn't finish there. I started doing bands and getting busy, and uh, uh, I went down to high school with uh, Jim McGuinn and uh, a few other people that were going to, uh, it was called the Central Y High School. Wow. Uh, it was downtown on LaSalle Street. And uh, uh, Rick Canoff went there, and that's where uh, Rick Mann actually met me there and brought Rick Canoff down. And uh, 
uh, asked, asked me to join the flock, you know. Uh, the, uh, the thing was that I was hanging around on the south side. I'd go down to, see, I was from the west side, you know, the far west side, out near Oak Park. And um, uh, I would go down to, well, I asked some some people at school, they were, where, where am I going to hear blues? Because I, <laughs> I wanted to get in. I did, and, I did. Involved. <laughs> and where can I go and sit in, you know? They said, well, you got to go down to Teresa's on 42nd in Indiana. Oh, so well, I, I went love down it. there one night with my old 53 Chevy, and <laughs> and uh, I sat in with a, a bunch of, I, I walked down in the club. The club was, uh, uh, you know, it was a 12-flat building, and it was down in the basement right off the corner. And I went in, and they had, you know, the beer beer boxes or what you sat on and everything. And then I walked in with my horn, and I was, I was, uh, I was about 15 and a half, actually, because <laughs> wow. I had just gotten my uh, my license, you know, my permit, you know. And I, but uh, I walked in, and I said, well, the band's up there. And I, a guy, he said, come on up here, come on up here and sit in, you know, come on up here and play your horn. What you got, a tenor? I said, yeah, I got a tenor. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he said, well, come on, sit in. We're just about to get going. And well, as it turned out, uh, the 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 guy who invited me in was uh, uh, Buddy Guy. No and, way! <laughs> yeah, they were, they were. This was pretty early on. What year was? What? But what year was this? Oh, I'd have to figure. Let's see, the year about like sixty-four, sixty-five, right around there. Wow. Yeah, and um, it was pre. You think it was pre pre Beatles? Yeah, uh, yes, so about barely. I think they had a hold your hand or something might have been. Right, they were just they were yeah. just a blip on the radar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, but I went in and sat in with uh, with these guys, and I I learned that you know well, I I've got a lot to learn is what I figured <laughs> right after that. I mean, you know, it was I got through it okay. It was. Uh, I, I knew who the drummer was. That was Sam Lay. Oh, are you? Uh, you wait, are you're fifteen and a half and, uh, years old and sitting in with Sam Lay? <laughs> yeah, oh. Sam and uh, and um, Buddy and uh, Junior Wells and uh, you got to be kidding me, dude! And a big bass player named uh, Oh gee, can I remember the big bass? It, player? it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't good old Cleveland Eaton, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't Cleveland. It was. Uh, uh, Oh God! Wait, the uh, Senator Eugene. <laughs> Se Senator Senator Eugene Wright. No, no. Uh, keep going. Now, I mean, I, I'm. You know, those guys are more like jazzers. You know, I don't. Not sure about the blues bass players. Oh no! This was a this was a blues quartet, and this was Junior Wells. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Ju Junior Wells was up front, and they, you know, blowing harp and. Boy, I learned I didn't I didn't know much about harp, but I got busy with it. I mean, can and, you? Uh, I mean, just for the p people that are going to listen to this, I mean, I, you know, people, the blues to me is like, um, you know, there's an aesthetic to it that speaks to, um, you know, that this sort of life experience, uh, uh, visceral um, stories that come out in your playing. I mean, that's the blues. It's not. 
it's not overly complicated music. There's not tons of language involved. But if you were going to describe the blues that they were playing, uh, what what was it and what did you feel? Was it more like the, uh, a feel thing that you had to learn? It wasn't necessarily technique. Well, on harmonica, definitely uh, technique. I mean, I had plenty of technique on tenor sax, but uh, at the time, I mean, I, I had already been studying uh, three or four years and came out of clarinet, you know. So, I, you know, I knew the horn, but the 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 patterns of the progressions and so forth was new to me because I, I, I mean, I was playing polkas on the West side, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, dude, I, I'm going to, that was my neighborhood of Polish polkas, uh, you know, play the wedding, you know? And, well, no, I, I want to, I'm just going to throw out some names here because, uh, I've interviewed so many cats, uh, from this, I'm not sure if they were West siders, but, I'm just going to throw out some names of, of groups here. The Mob, The American Breed, The oh. Missing Links, Bobby Ruffino, Jim Gersio. Was that your neighborhood with Danny Serafin and those cats? Well, uh, Danny Serafini, uh, yep. he, those, those, the, most of Chicago was from the South Side, but we, I knew those guys in, uh, in passing, you know, from playing on Rush Street and... Uh, and uh, State Street, you know, back in the in the in the, in the sixties. You know? Well, yeah, I know. I wonder. This is pre-flock, but like, I mean, those. Yeah, this was this was pre-flock. What I'm talking about is uh, um, the uh, flock came to me about in 1967. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to get there just yet. I'm really focused on this this period of time where also those guys like. Uh, Junior Wells, mob. well, Junior Wells and and those. I mean, they. You know, I I just know in talking to so many of those guys. Uh, well, like, uh, does the name Joe Diorio ring a bell? Oh yeah. It, no, oh, so yeah, Joe was... Joe is in my fifth book. I went to visit. He passed recently. I uh, I went to visit him in Waterbury, Connecticut, about four years ago, and he said that. He went, he said the same thing you did. He said, I'm going to go, I got to learn this music and I'm not going to learn it um, anywhere but the South Side. So he went down there and it was Jody Christian and Eddie Buster and Sonny Stitt. And, you know, it it just almost doesn't seem, and I don't think Old Town was even in existence at that point, but I'm just wondering about how accessible those guys were in terms of welcoming to you like you felt like you there was no bad vibe there even though there was a lot of you know no it was it was wonderful i I walked down in a a bar and i was underage and everything and a couple of gals said sit down right here you know i was (laughs) i was just a little white kid basically you know who's standing over the big horn you know and uh uh, you know, it was extremely welcoming and, and buddy, uh, you know, he'd yell the chords out, you know, uh, right. uh, uh it, 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 was, it was just a wonderful experience. It's, it, it's something I carry with me at all times. I've seen buddy since and, 
you know, said hello and talk. We even even jammed back in the uh, 80s at, at some point there. I mean, he's still doing it, man. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, were, 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 you, were, were you somebody who was willing to dip their toe into, uh, you know, the, you know, I'm just going to, like, cannonball, train, were you, were you crossing over into the jazz realm at all? I was starting to listen to Miles. I was starting to listen to John Coltrane. Yes. You know, and of course, Miles and Train were together, and it actually happened to me about 1966 or six, around 65, 66. Uh, there was a place in Old Town uh, that I booked my band there. And actually, it was the first place I met Ricky Canoff, but just in passing. Um, was, was it was it called the Pussycat or no? No, it was Like Young. How do you spell and that? It was a teen club right in the middle of the block, just south of North Avenue, between uh, wow. North and uh, and Lemoyne, or the, the next street down, you know. Um, and the, the, I played with my band down there. We were all kids from the west side and uh, I walked down the street <laughs> on the break and there was a club and I can't remember the name of the club right now uh, it was a blonde building on the east side of the street anyway and uh, I looked in the window and there was two black guys in there and one guy had a tenor he was a big guy with a tenor and the other guy was Miles Davis oh my God. and I stood there at the window and looked at these guys and I said man I want to play like that someday <laughs> you know wow. uh, uh, that was that's a, that was as close as I got to Miles as a young man but later on I met him in the studio at CBS and uh, Timo Macero actually in 1977, came to Chicago to produce a couple albums for me, with me. You get out of here, dude. Uh, Wait, well, Tio Miss. Hold on. Was what was the? Was it the? Was it the plug nickel that you saw, Miles? No, it wasn't the nickel. It was another place down the street. I cannot think of the name. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. The, I mean, the, so you? I mean, I mean, I can picture the building. But I, <laughs> I think it might have been one of Joe Siegel's operations. You know, Joe Siegel was putting on jazz concerts, you know, in different places, you know. Absolutely. I mean, what about, I mean, I know these guys were a little, you know, you were just sort of getting going, but, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Kelly's, uh, uh, you know, the, there was great piano players escaping my, my name, my my memory right now, but you know, Mighty Joe Young. I mean, were were you somebody who was caught up in post bop, bebop, or were you just trying to survive? Well, it was more post. Uh, you know, it was more the post bebop stuff. I mean, once once the uh, once I got a hold of it, I remember the name of the tune, and it was a forty five. Right. And once I heard that, it was Miles. And train was on it. Uh, it was Green Haze. Green was the name Haze. Of the, was the name of the single. Oh. Green Haze. And you could imagine what that is. I forget what the B side was, but I studied that. I said, man, this guy is playing trumpet and this guy is playing tenor, and they're working together so beautifully. And I just, it, it just, it just raised my 
raised my need to to find out what this stuff was all about. Uh, you know. Oh my God. Uh, that was that was uh, that was a great record. <laughs> I don't know where I got it. It was you know there was record stores around in those days, but I I played until it wouldn't play anymore. And uh, that was Green Haze by Miles Davis, and uh, that that's that started it. And then I I started to pick up some some uh, like Gene Ammons or something, maybe Gene Ammons or you know people like that. The, the, which which oh yeah well see my dad knew all those cats and oh you know he was familiar with me he says this is the guy you gotta listen to and this is the guy you gotta listen to uh he didn't think a lot of of miles at the time but you know uh you know it was more specific styling you know uh right. my dad was a real uh tone conscious uh technique conscious player he was a real uh you know what, what you'd call a uh a, a great mechanic yeah he was <laughs> you know? he was a tactician of sorts right right and i mean they'd call him in to read the stuff you know and right he could read he not. could read flypaper yeah 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 flypaper <laughs> that's awesome like no so i mean Levinas, you know that was one of his practice tunes and he do it in hyperspeed, you know. Is is there a story you can share? It doesn't have to be the first time, but when you made a conscious effort to basically, uh, you know, throw throw the music away, so to speak, like let channel your own, you know, channel information coming through through you from above, and not worry about the notes on the page. Was there a band, or was there a moment when you sort of, because to me, like. At that point in the music that we're talking about, uh, so many cats, when they got to that point where they stopped worrying about being perfect and they stopped playing with fear, it was one of the most liberating things in their life. Yeah. yeah. You just said it, Jake. <laughs> you just said it, brother. Uh, was that the flock? I mean, the flock, was that the flock or did, it, did you have a band before where you guys were like, hey, man. Let's just you know let's let's just start a, a theme here and let's riff on that theme. Oh yeah, we were we were we did some uh, improvisational stuff. See, I have to go back to my dad. Again do it, do it, do it. He always said to me. I mean, it was every day. You know, you hear me practice. You've got to know the horn. You've got to know the the instrument, and. The best way to do that is do the scales and the exercise and the long tones, of course, for your tone. But then the next thing you really have to think about is improvisation. So he always stressed improvisation with me. See, he was never demanded to improvise uh, huh, interesting. in his settings interesting. mainly. He was a utility man, you know. Uh, but so you say, I mean, when well, you he, on for solos, he was know? kind of doing like, uh, he was doing more like colors and stuff. He wasn't really, he wasn't, uh, like in, he wasn't improvising. He could improvise, but in his, in the jobs, he, the jobs he was, he was in, he got, you know, through the union and so forth were, were utility jobs, uh, where somebody could just whip a piece of music in front of him and he'd just burn it off like nothing. You sure, know? sure. Uh, it, the way it's written, bam, you know. 
So if it was well written, it sounded great. And then he wasn't asked to improvise much. Exactly. But he demanded that I learn improvisation. Wow. How, so is that, I mean, that, that, I need you to talk, I want you to stop right there. I, because I, it sounds really funny to say learn improvisation. Uh, I'm not sure how you do that other than just being with people on the bandstand that you trust and you can go out on a limb with and they'll follow you. But can you talk about your learning process as it related to improvising? And more specifically, what I like to say, or this is a great line from the, the Grateful Dead bassist Phil Lesh, you never played the same song the same way once. Right. <laughs> Phil, yeah. Phil, man. Uh, the, uh, well, the thing about learning it is learn the instrument and learn the uh, learn the, the 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 roots of controlling the instrument to to its max. Right. So there's no part of the instrument that and or the playing of the instrument that's a mystery. And then from there, I, I just, I improvised. I just went right into it. I said, okay. And once you learn the, the, the formats of, of what's going on, then, then you can say something within the, that framework. And then, you know, you asked about uh, the, the jam sessions and so forth. Well, uh, us West Side guys, we were, you know, we would throw these little things. We'd do a rehearsal. And then we'd all just just play whatever we felt or whatever we heard, and that was improvisation basically with e each other. You see, it's uh, at where you're you're constantly aware of others' contributions to the current moment and endeavoring to make your own contribution in such a way that it. It all fits together. Yeah, well, that, there's poetry right there from T.S. Webb, man. Unbelievable, dude. I mean, uh, like, so you, when did you actually join? I mean, no, I mean, Ahmad in Pittsburgh joined the union when he was 10 years old and was playing with guys in their 60s. Your dad was a union cat. Before the flock, did you... Think about being a studio shark. Uh, not particularly a studio cat, but I definitely wanted to be union, and my dad wanted me to be union. So I joined at 14, uh, where our band, we had a guy that was 16 that drove. So uh, we, we, we booked a date through, um, I don't know if you're going to recognize these names, um, uh, Jack Howard was the booking agent for the Maryland Hotel on Rush Street. Oh my gosh! And uh, he was also he 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 had his fingers in a lot of uh, Loyola, um, uh, you know, sororities and uh, and that sort of thing. And uh, so he would put the musicians in to play those parties. And he put my band in. Uh, we joined the union. I was fourteen. Uh, when I first joined, and uh, all the rest of the guys in my band were right in between sixteen and and fourteen. Were you, you know? were, were were you allowed? Would they hold your paychecks for you, or were you allowed to cash your checks? Uh, Jack Howard paid paid us cash. Cash, I love <laughs> yeah, it, dude. Make it real simple. 
In other words, I love in other it. words the booking agent handled everything, you know. That is <laughs> so those were the days, boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I mean, it was. Uh, it seemed to me that a musician was a viable profession at that time. It's so hard for my, at 45, my peers and younger, I, it's just, the way our society views music now, uh, it seems like it's a uh, musician's gift to the world. It's, uh, you can pay to play, or you can play for the... <laughs> Play for the door. Before music really, and like you talk about your dad during the Depression, I mean, music, significance of music in our culture was really dynamic at that time. It's not that oh, way yeah. anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Did you, so I, I did two classic interviews, and he's still with us. I hope he's doing all right. Two interviews with Phil Upchurch. And, uh, oh, yeah, Philip, yeah. And I know his son, too. Right, and... He talked to me about walking down Market Street and seeing the black or the blind Dobro players playing. And I mean, there was re- the 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 music was really out right in front of your face. And I just um, outside of the sorority fraternity gigs, what was the first time you were actually in? I mean, sh- Chicago is one of the. It's interesting because uh, at that time. That studio scene was on par with Chicago and Los Angeles. And I just wonder about the first time you wound up in the studio. Was it before the flock? Oh, yeah. Uh, I recorded, we wrote a tune with my, uh, with the, um, we, we had a group called the Diplomats. Oh, and, dear. Uh, oh, dear. And we, we went in and recorded a, an A and a B side, uh, a fellow from, it was IRS recording. It was right on Division and Central. And little did we know at the time that it was uh, uh, the the guy that we were dealing with was wasn't just a recorder. He was he worked for the FBI, tapping uh, oh phones and that sort of thing, and recording, you know. But he took us into the studio downtown, uh, into a studio downtown, and. Uh, we were we were quite young, and we recorded our two songs. And uh, uh, see, we 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 were also uh, naive. You know, the city of Chicago yeah. had had park district competitions. I uh, I don't know if you, you no I uh, no I don't hit hit me to that. I don't know what that is. Battles of the band, so to speak. Sure, sure. You know, and uh, uh, we played a lot of those, and then we took second place at the uh, uh, at the final, and uh, we won the recording uh, through this guy at IRS, and uh, um, we went out and recorded our single. So that was the first studio experience that we had. You know, uh, so you won the battle of the bands, and this cat said, "Come on and cut a forty-five. Yeah. Yeah. Did that forty-five yeah. actually see the light of day? I mean, do you have do you have a copy of that? I have no idea where it is. I know Dan Sandercola had one, but Dan left us in uh, two thousand four, and I don't know if his wife uh, gave it to one of the other musicians uh, uh, in the neighborhood or what. That was that was two thousand four, and I, I I didn't keep track of what happened to the to the disc. Sure. Uh, yeah. What was the what was the first what was so I mean like after 
after that, what was the the what was the first time that you actually got your hands on a record that uh, that you recorded? Uh, well, uh, let's see. Uh, I want to say with the flock. Yeah, it was it was a definite a definite uh, finalization of a lot of attempts. <laughs> you know, um, I, we recorded down on Michigan Avenue. Uh, while they were st- they were they were a five piece, and then Rick asked myself and uh, Frank Poser to join uh, after meeting us, and we all played together, and uh, it, it worked wonderfully, <laughs> you know. So, and Rick Rick was one of the greatest guys I've ever known. He was like a brother to me, and, you know, fellow horn man, and uh, uh, it was really a drag when he when he passed, but. Um, we went into the studio on Michigan Avenue. Uh, we were managed by George Badonsky and uh, 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 oh, let me think, Jim Golden and um, Bob Monaco and George Badonsky. Bob Monaco. Bob Monaco. I know that name. Yeah, yeah. yeah Bob Monaco. Uh, he was on the West Coast later on. Yes, that's right. Uh, uh, producing bands but um uh jim golden was the head of the record label there and uh um it was destination records at that time i think and so i cut you know i cut the vocals and and um we did some of the horn parts but a funny thing we were we were there at the studio with our our whole our whole unit this was before jerry joined uh, was Jerry was Jerry a roadie at this point? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Because yeah. I, I got to send you my interview. I got to send you my interview with Jerry. It's a legendary interview. Oh yeah, man. I thought we just. I just saw that. <laughs> oh, you saw that interview? I, I yeah. You got. I mean, it's so. So I just want to be clear that uh, talk just before we move forward. Uh, where were you at? How did you originally connect with uh, with Rick? And those cats. Okay, uh, Rick Mann, who was the original guitar player, which Jerry replaced. Uh, he was the original guitar player with the Flock. Wow. Uh, he was from Evanston. His uh, Rick Mann. Yeah. I guess his stepdad was a uh, a professor, and um, Rick was a wild guy. He was just a, a wonderful human being. And, uh, <laughs> he went on later on to play. Um, I mean, it was it was a drag, you know, having to see him be fired. The organization just couldn't handle eight people, so they, um, you know, uh, Jerry came in and took his place, you know. But um, uh, Rick went to school with me at Central YMCA at the uh, on LaSalle Street. That was a, a, a high school, and. Um, you know, a, a liberal arts school, basically, is what it was. And um, Rick, uh, I, I had met Rick Panoff previously, but Rick came down to school one day with uh, with Rick Mann. Right. And um, introduced him to me again. I said, oh, yeah, I, I saw you at Lake Young. You know, <laughs> is that one of those things? Yeah, right. You know? And... Uh, 
talk to me and asked me if I was interested. See, I had my group at the time was the Smith Henry group. That's my, my whole name. T.S. Henry Webb is Thomas Smith Henry Webb the third, you know. Did you but, make, did um, you my, did you record an album with that group or no? Not not a not a whole album, no. Okay. Uh, but uh, on on meeting the the flock, uh, meet, meeting uh, Rick Canoff, uh, we came out. I got a hold of Frank. Frank was at Austin High School with me as well. He was in in band at Austin. Wow. And. Um, I think it was second year, you know, sophomores. But um, wait, I'm sorry. The band was called Smith and Webb. What was it called? This, no, Smith Henry Group. Well, now who was in that band? Uh, oh, well, three of them are gone now. Uh, oh, let's see. Dan Santacola, he was the guitar player. This is unbelievable. We were we were kids across the street. We grew up with each other across the street, you know, and. Um, I had Bob Grunzowitz on bass. Uh, he later became, uh, he went to Nam, and then uh, uh, when he came back, he became a police officer in Oak Park. Uh, Bob Grunzowitz on bass. I had uh, Danny, Danny, I can't. Uh, it's Danny, okay. So, but none of, only, only you. The, the drummer. And, yeah. uh, and then uh, the other guitar player was, uh, Kulikowski, Jim Kulikowski from Belmont Avenue. Jim Kulikowski. And, uh, Kulikowski, yeah, he was a great guitar player too. So, but you're the only one that split that group. You're the only one that went into the flock from that 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 Smith Henry group. No, uh, and Frank was with me. Frank. Oh, was Frank Postal was with you. Okay. Yeah, Frank was. Uh, we were, we lived uh, four blocks from each other. You know, I went to, went to high school together. We were under Gelsomino. Jack Gelsomino was the uh, band director at Austin High School. And um, you know where Austin High School is, right? Well, uh, I mean, you're talking to a Long Island guy. Now I'm in Tucson. I don't know anything. I mean, Chicago to me well, is just like this enigma. Well, but yeah, Austin High School was the, uh, the place where Benny Goodman and uh, Gene Krupa came from. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was my neighborhood, baby. <laughs> Damn. So I, I had a little bit to live up to. <laughs> so um, the, a couple more names just popped into my head I got to ask you about. Um, Dick Shorey. I did a great interview with Dick. Did you ever cross paths with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did some ad work for him. I'm pretty sure he's still work. alive, actually. Is he? Yes. He was doing drum and percussion competitions all over the place. And the other guy... Was uh, this amazing guitar player Ron Steele? Did you know Ron? Ron Teal. Ron Steele. S T E E L E. I'm not sure. I know uh, I the name sounds familiar, but I can't. I, I can't place. And then one one more is Tom Radke. Oh yeah, Tommy Radke. I got to send you that interview. Radke. Tommy and I had a ball. I love that cat, man. Yeah, he was in a racing business too. You know, dude, he's everywhere. So. The, yeah, was the f- I was I I worked for the same guy that uh, was his his uh, race prep guy <laughs> in the in the early two thousand. Well, it was ninety nine two thousand on the Motorola Cup. <laughs> was was the flock a? Were they really uh, 
had they only just cut a few singles, or were they like a gigging band when you and Frank joined them? Oh, they were they were a famous band regionally. Famous regional band yeah. already. Well, they had they had uh, one single out on um, CFL LS, you know, WLS the radio, uh, reached number one for a short time, I guess. Wow. Uh, and then. And then they did another one, and they actually recorded one of the tunes that I wrote, What Would You Do With the Sun Down? Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> and uh, that we recorded right down on Michigan Avenue there. And then we we went in with uh, Bobby Whitesides to do the horns, because he did the horn arrangements on that, that version uh, into chess. And when we walked into chess, Jerry was our, our roadie, and he look, he walks in, and the string section is sitting there, and there's his mom and dad. No and goes, way. What are you doing here? Oh, my God, that's so <laughs> classic, dude. That is so classic. Yeah, next time you talk to Jerry, ask him about that. Dude, I'm going to be transcribing that story and putting it up on Facebook. That's unbelievable, dude. <laughs> we walked in, we, you know, we came into the studio, and the whole... Of course, the horn section and the and the string section were all set up, you know, and they were both, uh, you know, ready to go. And uh, we looked in the window, or Jerry looked in the window, and he goes, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> there was his mom and dad. His dad played viola at that time, I think, and they had the charts for it. I figured, I think Saul Bobrov might have done the charts on that tune too. So essentially, though, I, uh, this is an important part because, like, uh, with with blood, sweat, and tears, um, they they had studio booked out for weeks, if not months, at a time. And you know, my sort of envisioning of the whole thing was that it was all, they all hit at one time, but it was a layered situation. So you guys would basically would you cut the rhythm tracks first, and then do horns, and then vocals, or how how would you layer the flock music? Well, uh, as I recall, on the first album, when we were in CBS, we were we did a live, but we we had separate rooms and a lot of uh, a lot of dividers and Baff, was, baffles. And, yeah, baffles, yeah. and um, uh, you know our uh, our producer at the time was the guy who produced the. Uh, symphonic, you know, uh, the, the, he was in the in the symphonic uh, uh, division of CBS, you know. Right. And um, when we went in, we wanted to do it live because we had been playing live. John McClure was his name, right? Yeah, John McClure and like uh, uh, Doug. I forget. I forget the it's last right. name. But yeah. Doug was a great engineer, you know. And at CBS, they used you know three engineers because they were running a safety and they were running you know a lot of machines. Um, but they they put us in a we we did a lot of the cuts live. Okay, that's this is I want I want to, then, this yeah this is really important. Overdubbed, you know, to thicken up the horns and to thicken up uh, certain certain tracks we would do them over again, you know, like recording it live twice almost, you know, or just the horn section over your, your parts so you could sort of beefed it up, you know, really drove it into the tape, you know. But you were, so that you may, maybe layered that again, but you're telling me that that first record, 
You guys were in separate rooms, or were you all in the same room? Well, of course, the drums were were in uh, uh, isolation. Was it a booth or like? Uh, yeah, it, okay. it was a big booth. It was like a whole room, you know. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I think I think Smith, I think the bass was in there too, so he could the drums and bass were together. Interesting. You know? But uh, you know they weren't rec- they weren't rec- they were taking direct on the on the bass you know, and then vocals vocals were happening at the same time that the rhythm tracks were being laid down, and then if they needed a little bit of extra uh, punch, right. you would right right then we'd overdub it yeah right but but what was that? Can you talk? It's so cool because. And yet, and that record was like a pretty big success, and, and it sounds really good. And yeah, there's a little bit of leakage and stuff like that. But I mean, we've been we've gotten so far away from that now. I mean, it's like the, the everything is pieced together now. People email their parts into other people. I know. I did some tracks. So Jerry did some tracks for me on uh, last one of the last albums I, I was doing uh, a couple of years ago before 2020. And, uh, you know, I could just send, I, I just emailed, uh, you know, Dropbox to, this stuff to Jerry and then Jerry Dropboxed it back to my studio guy. And, and, uh, we just did a light mix on it and it was wonderful. You know, Jerry's still playing like incredibly, man. You know, the man is, well, he's, 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 be, like, he's when, still when beyond. He reached, yeah. yeah, man. When he reached for, improvisation you know i mean here's here's a guy that was our roadie you know and uh and of course i my dad knew his mom and and dad from the the uh symphony you know he knew knew who they were you know in the string section so but oh this is jury this is their youngest you know so uh that's the way my dad looked at it you know (laughs) And, uh, but I also want to go back right. to this. The first album that McClure did, you guys weren't wearing headphones either, were you? Oh, no. I think we had some phones on. You had uh, phones on, even though you were... I mean, that to me is like the most... To me, it was still like... Yeah, there were some small baffles up maybe, but I mean, it was just one of those kind of... Even the way they mic the room was was so different. I mean, it was just well, yeah, it was the symphony room. It's, it's Studio A. Wow, wow! It's, it's gigantic. It splits in half. You know, it's it's got a divider. Uh, you know where they drag these dividers across on hinges, and they close off the, half the room. You know. Um, you so the, that 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 record came out. And do you remember the first time you heard one of the tunes on the radio? Uh, yes. <laughs> we were on the radio. Frank and I were on the way to rehearsal on the north side. And, uh, wow. And uh, we, we, Frank had the radio on, and and a clown came on, you know. Oh, my God, dude. That, to me, is the most mad from your generation, because music is so easily consumed and it's accessible more than ever now and but at that time you had like you said a very famous regional band getting into a studio making an album in that kind of old school way and then i would venture to say you were probably listening to local 
Chicago radio, and you were listening to regional radio playing your tune. Right. That's right. about as American as it gets, man. It was a thrill, man. It was a real thrill, let me tell you. When I look back at it, Jake, it's like uh, I was so fortunate. You know, first my mom and dad, and then and then to be immersed in Chicago, uh the, basically, the, the 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 music community, you know, uh, and and growing up in it rapidly, I might say, and uh, uh, living in it. I, I you know I lived in Chicago most of my life, man, almost all of it, you know, except for the last fourteen years. Uh, I mean, I spent some time in Los Angeles, and I spent time in in New York, but uh, never enough to say I'm from there, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm curious about, um, with CBS, I mean, did you wind up on tour with, like, uh, Santana or Miles? or I mean, what were some of the bills you were on? All of the above. Holy cow. (laughs) And this was, Jerry was, uh, you know, Jerry was always... A sparkly young cat, man. But uh, he was, yeah. Uh, we we had a good time out there on the road. I mean, we you know we were we had a uh, what the flock actually was, and when I joined them, they were already a very successful five piece band, you know, which right. already had a a number one regional uh, single. And uh, Rick, Rick and Freddie really wanted to expand the band. They wanted more horns because Rick was, or uh, Rick was playing tenor and alto and Barry, you know, switching horns. And uh, Freddie was playing guitar, farfisa organ, and trumpet. So he'd do the trumpet parts like for the Sam and Dave stuff and that, you know. It wouldn't surprise uh, me if he was playing we're doing le- a lot of cover stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean that those cats would he'd be playing trumpet in one hand and left hand bass in the other or something. You know, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. so that was the, that was really my, my my that was the most pivotal question in set one. We're gonna have to do set two in the next few days if we can because we got a lot more to get to. But I want to ask you about what you you guys brought to the flock to increase the sonic expansion of the band. Frank and I? Uh, yeah. Well, it, 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 we immediately became Rick, Frank, and I. So we were the section. Right. And, uh, you, you know, the, the, the flock, was, from from the point that I joined, uh, I didn't want to join any band. That was part of my restrictions to Rick when I told him that we met at, at my high school, you know. And he said, well, what, what, what kind of stuff do you want to do? I said, well, I want to be writing stuff. I want to be, I want to be co-writing stuff and writing stuff. And, and that's, that's my restriction. If I can't do that, then I don't want to join the band, you know? Uh, and Rick just said, yeah, man. And Freddie, uh, Freddie was, was, was the main writer, but he, he was carrying the whole load. And what the block became when Frank and I joined is it became a contributive state, man. We were all contributors. That's right. 
and Rick was such a wonderful leader, man. He he would he would keep it, you know, so it flowed. And we, oh man, we were in such agreement, you know, uh, on every part and and what what sound was we wanted to get out of that, you know. And, but it was really it was really a, it was very conversational too. Right, very very much so. I mean, what you're hearing, you know, on the recorded stuff is basically what we played live you know that that was live the, sometimes the the solos went on a little further or they got a little wilder <laughs> and sometimes we all we all just stood there and laughed at each other for a minute you know but it was it was a very very co-creative band you know it, it was almost like being with Lester Bowie and Joseph Jarman and those cats only much more uh, organized in terms of structure. That's right. That's very well put. That's very, very well put. Um, but, but the excitement it was it was was what it was. That's it. And then when Jerry when Jerry joined, you know, I taught him a few blues licks and man this kid was off <laughs> you know and running and contributive an extremely contributive person as well beautiful cat man hey ts let me ask you how about a week from today at 2 p.m can we do set two sounds good to me we got a lot more to get to we just burned through 54 54 minutes here so we did it we had a good good first cooking first set man it's such an honor to connect with you man Hey, likewise, Jake. I've heard a lot about you, man, and I think you're doing wonderful things. Hey, man, I hope you had fun. That's all I care about. <laughs> I'll, I'll be working this weekend at the at the Thirsty Lizard. <laughs> the Thirsty Lizard. Uh, dude, I'm coming down this summer. You, have, you mark my words, we'll be hanging in person, but we'll do set two next Tuesday, man. Okay. All right. Two, two o'clock? Yeah, and I'll, uh, two o'clock, and I will send you a copy. Of, I'll text. Uh, is this your cell phone? Uh, no. Uh, why don't you go? Yeah, it is a cell phone, but it's not a good one. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, where, where where should I send the? I, I do I do have a. I, I want to say a woman. Let me see here. Let me see. Linda Cool. That's her. Yeah, you could send it to Linda. <laughs> I'm going to send it to or, Linda later, uh, and uh, and we'll pick up this conversation Tuesday next Tuesday at two p.m. Okay, is it going to be shareable? Absolutely, man. Oh, a hundred? No, a hundred percent. Okay, yeah. Jake. All right, TS. Be cool, man. Much love to you, brother. All right, bless you, baby. All right, man. Be cool. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye.